If this is your first time listening to the Suncoast podcast, we get to talk to some amazing people with some fantastic stories. Chefs, restaurateurs. Coming up now, Alana Sapwell from ARC. That's A-R-C, not like the boat. She's from HSW. It's the coolest place in Brisbane at the moment. It's all about the challenges that she's had. She's got loads of funny stories. I get to call my friend Alana Sapwell. Okay, you ready to start, Billy? You be yieldy. You're not allowed to use it. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's the best part. Okay, don't use that. Um, I, I normally ask if there's anything else that I'm not allowed to ask, but that'll be it. That'll do. Yeah, that's okay. So Alana Sapwell started as a little girl in Noosa. Is that right? You uh, grew up there? Yeah, another little place, but we can start at Noosa. Let's start sure. at Noosa because you were about what, six, ten. What were we up there? No, I moved up from Melbourne when I was like five, and I grew up between Noosa and Gympie in the country there, um, and then went to all the Gympie schools. There we go, it's out. Might as well just own it now. <laughs> Gympie girl. Uh, let's um, start again, let's start again. Gympie girl, Alana Sapwell, how are you? Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't need to be the introduction. <sighs> uh, I'm well, good. You know what, it might explain your awesome vegetable patch, but we're going to get to that. Like, did you have a veggie patch as a kid? I did, but only because... My parents were so poor. Yeah. And I remember my mum being really embarrassed. She used to apologise to us. She's like, I'm so sorry. I can't afford the cakes and the things from the shops. Yeah. Um, because she would. She would start one end of the, um, like, potentially, like, the veg end one week until she ran out of money. And then uh, the next week she'd start at the meat end and then yeah. until she ran out of money. And so it was just, I guess... A means of survival, having a veggie garden. It wasn't trendy back then, but it was yeah. so amazing. And I used to think she was crazy because we'd come home and there'd be like freshly baked cakes and it would. I didn't understand why she was apologising, not being able to buy the packet stuff. Because yeah, all the good food sort of comes from, you know, like almost like peasant food in Italy and whatever. It's sort of, well, that's where the, all the good stuff. But I'm going to trump your poor story. We were literally so poor. My mum used to go to the bakery with a garbage bag and say, oh, can we have the leftover bread for the chooks? Really? And they would tip the, like, the, the bread that came from the bigger bakery. So if they returned the bag, they, they didn't pay for the bread. Yeah. So we would get that bread. Mum had been collecting bags forever and she'd put it all in the, the freezer. But it's your story, not mine. Um, yeah, well, okay. So you started up there. And you were cooking at home as a kid because your dad's a motor mechanic, yeah? Dad was actually on – he got kicked out on the streets when he was 14. And so the first night he was at the train station. I can't remember what he did, but he ended up losing all his stuff. So he's just become one of those jack-of-all-trades and just got through life just saying that he can do it and just teaching himself along the way. Um, Where mum's really digs in, decides she wants to do something and then – does it exceptionally well. She's currently travelling around Australia on the boat that she's made. So when she oh was 40. Oh, God, that is awesome. <laughs> just decided that she was going to become a boat builder. So yeah. That's so inspiring. Yeah. But yeah. it was horrible to see because I used to go around to her place and she'd be working 40 hours a week and then she'd be working on this boat for 40 hours on top of that. And because especially the first few years, it's just sanding. And she's just like, come to a boat tour. And I couldn't notice the difference and I didn't have the heart to tell her. <laughs> you just did. But she just wanted to make this perfect boat. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and she's got it. So that's So she's doing that by herself or? Her and her husband, yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, worked that out. Okay. Um, so I remember you told me a little story ages ago when we were having lunch with Mr. Matt Stone down there at uh, Rickshaws that your dad was a motor mechanic and you tinker with old cars and stuff like that. 
Yeah, so I, I believe it was a cursed car, my first car. Oh, Definitely right. wasn't a lead foot. Yeah, yeah. Um, but did write it off quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and so Dad, he was really good at spray painting and panel beating and the mechanics, and he just cracked it one day and said, I'm not spending my whole life fixing your bloody cars. And so he, again, out of necessity, just said, if you want your car fixed, you've got to do it yourself. So he just taught me along the way. And it was actually quite surprising, especially like bogging and spray painting. It's a lot like um, doing up a cake. Cake, yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Also, you hide stuff in the boat. Did he teach you that? Yeah. To get oh. over the borders? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> wow. Uh, so you're cooking. So your mum was cooking, yeah? What about your grandma? Anyone else cooking in the family that no, inspired Ralph you? No, was like, mum was cooking, but she was a good baker, but she was a horrible cook. No offence. Oh. But she didn't believe in salt or butter. Um, and so both of my brothers, uh, both of me and my brother, um, became chefs. And I think it was just out, out of, well, just <laughs> think it's going to taste better than this. Like. <laughs> well, I hate to, you know, like we've got stuff in common. Um you trumped me on the your dad being on the streets, but um, my mum was great at making pikelets. She, you know, with the bike ah, up, put that stuff no, in there. I'll you know. pikelet off. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, pikelet off. Yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> um, but absolutely shit at doing beef stuff as well. And she'd put a whole lump of frozen mince in a fry pan, like the traditional electric one, mm. and that would turn it on, and it would sort of just you know you drag the grey stuff off, and then okay. tomato sauce, and that was spaghetti bolognese <laughs> for me. So I had to leave. And I had to go and cook. But uh, so you were in Noosa and you were trying to get a job as a chef when you were sort of young and you went and worked with David Rayner. Yeah. Yep. So Grandma um, was quite up to date with everything back in the day. And so she saved all these newspaper articles and came to me and said, This David Rayner knows what he's doing. Like, you need to get a job here. Mm. And it's like, right, Yes, Grandma. And so mm -hmm. I drove down to Noosa three days in a row. And it was like a 40 minute drive. And the first day, David's like, no, we don't have any room. The second day, he's like, no, we still don't have any room. And mm. on the third day, he's just, I think I wore him down. He's just like, oh, she's keen enough. Let's just give her a go. And so I got my foot in the door and I stayed there for four years and it was pretty incredible. Like yeah. he just before the 30 kilometer dinners and whatnot was trendy. Like he was really promoting local produce. And he would also give us the opportunity as an apprentice um, to be a little bit creative. He'd tell us his ethos and what he was about there. But once we'd known enough about David, then we would have the section and we could come up with the menu every day for that section. Yeah. He could obviously tweak it up and make sure that everyone's menus work together. But it was something that I hadn't actually seen before and it was such a good place to learn. Yeah. The best produce, especially fish as well. Yeah, yeah, because he's, he's, he's actually very passionate about his produce. Like yeah. he loves a good tomato, loves a good fish. Yeah. <laughs> he does. Yeah, he's a nice man. Um, okay, so then you thought you'd venture down to the Big Smoke, Bris Vegas. Did you no, do that? Or where'd I you went go from there? Straight to Italy. Oh, really? Well, I thought that was, yeah, okay, straight to Italy. Yeah. So how old were you then? 21. 21, packed a bag. Yeah. Pack your favourite clothes? Not at all. <laughs> Just pack the bare minimum. And because yeah. that's why I wanted, I had really good pizza when I was six. And that's why, uh, I don't know, that was the epiphany of this is what it's supposed to be, not this Domino's stuff that yeah. I'm used to. Yeah. Um, and I just always wanted not to do fancy food, but just do food properly and take yeah. my time with it. And 
realising that we do live in this convenience-driven world and people take shortcuts and I just wanted to learn how to do it properly. Yeah. Um, so I went there and it was a lot harder than I anticipated. So, so you rocked up with no, like you went there without having somewhere to go? You just got off the plane? No, I just travelled around Italy and then decided where I wanted to kind of settle down. And, and how does it work? You know, young punters, like how did it work? Was it like... You just rocked up on a door or did you do emails or did, how did you do it? I went door knocking. Yeah, good. Yeah, but it took me two weeks, which is the longest that I've been out of a job ever. Yeah. Um, but I landed a pretty good job. But again, the pays are shocking there. So I was doing, every time someone left that place, I, I'd go to the bosses and say, I'll take over that job. Like I ended up being in a sous chef position, but then taking on other people's job to try and get a little bit more money. Mm. And even on my one day off, I was making jam drops and we had um, these bicycles, so it wasn't very trendy to fix things in Italy. And so we used Whereabouts to in Italy? Florence. Yep, yep. Um, and so we used to go to the um, train station where there was all these broken bicycles and kind of Frankenstein them all back together and then we'd have bikes. But they were beautiful. Um, but I used to make jam drops and then go to the Duomo, which was obviously a very big tourist attraction and sell these jam drops on my day off off the back of this bike really but it was only like it was we were so poor and we were it's really seasonal in Italy like you go to the shop and it'll be essentially like 30 cents for eggplants per kilo if they're in season so we were making our own bread at home pickling and preserving everything and doing everything just to save our money and at the end of our time there, I think we had 300 euros to go. Loaded. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, these Frankenstein bicycles, because um, I wanted to go see the rest of Europe. So we just got, I rang up my mum and she was turning, I can't say her age, but mm-hmm. she was turning a big number that year. Mm-hmm. And so she wanted to go to Disneyland and go to Venice. And I said, mum, can you, I'll meet you in Venice and can you drop me off a tent? Because, again, it wasn't trendy to camp in Italy so I couldn't find a tent and so it's hard to camp in Italy isn't it yeah I mean in Venice oh we didn't camp in Venice but we just picked up the uh the tent and then had a little uh burner and had a packet of rice and a packet of pasta and then whatever we found on the side of the roads then we'd cook up and we made it from Spain all the way through the French Alps to Germany for Oktoberfest which was pretty fun on the bike yeah awesome I lost a lot of weight because I got really stuck into the cheese and prosciuttos and stuff in Italy. So, again, out of necessity. So, adventure. <laughs> so, you, you know, you've got these parents who are obviously adventurous doing a boat around the country and, yeah, that's that's like you're living the dream so far, yeah? And, okay, so do you think that being a little bit poor, you know, it's almost like everyone should have all their money taken off them and, and like, to, to build some sort of soliness to be able to deal with what you got, build a Frankenstein bike. Do you think that that sort of thing is a good sort of platform to start? I don't know. Like I even, I think that's what's drawn me to the industry as well is because it's not so bad these days, but um, it's pretty renowned for doing those long hours and having that hardship. And through that struggle, like you really see people's true colours. You, No one can just be nice to your face for you know, 17 hours a day and you really get to yeah, to see what people are like under pressure and after when they're tired and they're a bit grumpy and mm. and I like that. I like seeing people's true colours. Yeah. 
So how does that work these days? You know, like I know there's all these restrictions with hours and all sorts of things these days because if you want to learn, the old way when I was an apprentice chef, it was, man, you come in early, uh, you stay back late. Now, yeah. What's the go now because, you know? Well, I've been through that as well. And, you know, you get to a stage where you're just unproductive. Yeah. Like, and you're not actually giving the place anymore. You're just doing it out of, not ego, but, like, expectations. And the guys, like... Being part of Howard Smith Walls, they're really strict, so everyone's yeah. on 42 hours a week. Yeah. Um, so the guys have got a roster of three days on one week, four days on the next week, yeah. which is amazing. But I also encourage the guys to say, hey, you know, you've got this time off, use it well. We just had a couple of the boys do a pop-up in their spare time yeah. on Monday. Um, but I'm saying to, you know, some of the guys, you know, if you want to get on meat section go with this time, go to a butchery, learn how to make sausages, learn how to, you know, and then you'll be the best person to then move on to that section. Mm. So they can have a life and they can rest up and then I always expect them to be fresh and on on the ball here, but it's that option that they can go out and still gain that knowledge and that experience that potentially I can't even provide for them. That is a fantastic philosophy. I think as a supplier... I would like to work in kitchens more because I'm a chef. I can probably get in there and do it, you know, not necessarily do much, but Where just be there. Oh, anywhere. Work with you or work with Becca <laughs> Finos or work anywhere. But just get to the, the feel so of the heat. <laughs> there's actually probably plenty of positions, but um, everyone's wanting a chef. But, um, you know, just to feel it again, you know. But by the time nighttime comes around for me, I'm like 7.30. I'm like, whoa, why are people still awake? But, um, yeah, but there's a part of me that really wants to get back in there and, you know, feel it and learn it and get to know it a bit more. So we're in Italy, you've gone down to the Oktoberfest, you've drank lots of beer, try and put some of that weight back on, and then you've gone, Japan. No. no. (laughs) (laughs) I really, Billy, Billy, did you do any homework? (laughs) Um, Then I came back home and I tried to grow up. So I tried to buy a house and get a dog and I had a fiance at the time. And um, I got, this was back in Noosa. I got six months into the reality of that and realised it's not for me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So that's when I did, I worked closely with Dad and I did up my combi at the time. Um, But I spent far too much time on the aesthetics of it. It looks beautiful. Candy turquoise. Have you still got it? um, No, I sold it. Um, Splitty? No. Next one. 60 something? Uh, 72, I think. Um, But yeah, I always wanted to go traveling with my best friend so her and her partner were traveling through australia at the time and so we decided to meet them they'd go in the through the middle of australia and we'd go up the northern side and we'd meet in darwin but by the time i got there the car had broken down um several times i imagine <laughs> only a couple of times yeah. and it was really good like that was what was brilliant about it is that i'd just ring up dad <laughs> i'm like so What's wrong with it? And he's like, well, start from the alternator. And then he could guide even me on the phone how to fix this. Yeah. Um, and it's just simple mechanics. But these days, obviously, everything's done by chips and that just wouldn't be an option. You'd be no. stuck in the middle of Australia with yeah. Um, I had a, a 59 combi. Did you? Yeah. So 1959 safari windows at the front. And oh, that's beautiful. Blinkers that came out. It was a ute. And then I used to make juices and smoothies on the beach. And that's how I got into doing this. So when it rained, I sold the fruit to restaurants in Byron. So I was on what he goes with this this combi. 
and it was like classic. It was on the front page of magazines all over the world. It was a sexy machine. Sold it for not much. Sold it for about thirty grand. I think it was worth about ninety. But um, why did you sell it? Money. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. that's definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So a friend and I both sort of had it, and uh, but I worked it, and you know, and um, we had a lot of fun. But um, so combi. We're in Australia and uh, got to Darwin. Got to Darwin. Yeah, and so we both we all got jobs um, with Pasvali Pearls, and I got stationed in Arnhem Land, and which was really really remarkable. And that was when I kind of had to figure out how to because you're on this island essentially, and you have to get rid of your waste. Um, so I used to save the food scraps and throw all this food into the ocean, and then this bounty of fish would just come and I'd be able to catch enough fish for 30 guys to feed them every day for lunch, which was amazing because I was the worst fisherman as well. Um, But it wasn't just – once the fish came, then the sharks came and the sharks didn't scare me. It was like the crocodiles afterwards. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I just hate them. Uh, But that was really fun for the time and I learned a lot and it was just a really remarkable place to be. But then they've got a thing called tropo season, so coming into the heat and, like, the humidity, and I felt like my brain was frying. <laughs> like, <laughs> I couldn't handle that kind of heat. So Arnhem Land, you said? Arnhem Land, Is yep. that near Liquorland? No. No, no, different. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's when I decided just to get out of the, the heat, and that's when I just started uh, messaging people in Japan and ask, sending out my resume and then landed a head chef job. And so I got... The combi towed back and I flew straight from there to Japan. How much did it cost to get the combi from Oh, Darwin? nothing because really? I was with RACQ. Ah, oh, <laughs> <laughs> That was RACQ. <laughs> you, did you want that sign for the video? Uh, <laughs> right, yeah. should definitely get a sponsorship now. Okay, so you're back and there you're going, right here, Japan. You've been to Italy, learned all the cool things there, how to make a pizza. And now, and how to sell jam drops yep. at the, on, the, on the days off. Um, so Japan, amazing food. Some of the best, you know, you can go to a shopping centre in, in Japan and, and have a, an amazing experience every single time because they have so much respect for food. Yeah, you must have learned heaps. How, you know, what happened? Um, well, because I was a head chef, I got to do my own food. Um, and the bosses were really happy with me. Um, but I didn't speak Japanese because obviously it was a very off-the-cuff decision. Yeah. And I remember the manager laughing at me one day because she spoke both languages and she's just like, it's just unbelievable. Like, you're speaking to them in complete English and they're speaking back in complete Japanese and there's nothing missed. Like, I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. Um, but also that was, I don't know, I feel like I was hit with imposter syndrome just it was you had enough to get you through the day and get the food up and you know the bosses were happy but how could you properly lead that team Mm. um there's so much more than just food when it comes to running a business obviously yep um so at the time in Australia as well like the government was changing the apprenticeship from four years to three years and Mm. yeah um, and so I decided to essentially treat every section of the kitchen as a trade itself. So I, then I came back home and wanted to dedicate, you know, three to four years to every section. So when back in that role, I could give it the respect that it really needed. Mm. Um, 
And so that's where I became a pastry chef, apparently, in Brisbane. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that's how it used to sort of be. Like the, the, the what do they call that? The chart, you've got the head chef, the sous chef, the chef de party, and then it comes down into sections and saucier and pastry and whatever. And then as a, you know, I think they based a whole apprenticeship on on the fact that you would work for a hotel or something and, and you'd work in these big places. So, and you'd go around from each one to each one. So you sort of did that, but, you know, in smaller type places. Yeah. Yeah. Well, David did make sure, as in it, like, within the four years that I was there, that you did, you went through the system properly, you know, you did larder until you could, could nail it, then you moved on to pastry, then you moved on to fish or meat. And in thinking that I had that kind of opportunity, I thought I had a well-rounded mm. um like education, but I never want to do anything mediocre. And I think sometimes instead of just racing to the top, you really sh- to have a you need a deeper understanding of everything. Because so now, how are we then? Uh, twenty four. So you've lived a whole life by twenty four, nearly. <laughs> <laughs> Most people haven't done even that yet. So, wow. So twenty four, you've lived a whole life. You're head chef, but you're thinking, I need to go back and learn some of these steps a bit clearer yeah was it more just the language that was stopping you being that or was some of the skills no I found limitations with my food as well yeah 100% I knew that I was hitting a wall with it um creatively or skillfully oh a little bit of both yeah did you need a break no not until after (laughs) Urbane okay so you come back to Brizzy straight into Urbane pastry chef yeah so they actually laughed at me when I wanted the pastry chef. I came here and I was going to go straight to Melbourne or Sydney and one of my friends, Damon, he's just like, oh, Brisbane's come a long way in the last five years. You know, you should really check it out, stay for a couple of days. And the first day I was here, I got a phone call from Gerard's, uh, not Gerard's, Urbane, saying, <laughs> it was Ben Williamson. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, saying, can you come in? Heard you're in town. And that one day turned into a year and a half. Yeah. Um, Billy worked here for two two weeks. He's been here for three years now, Billy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. nice. <laughs> it's, it's very long <laughs> uh, yeah, um, so you went in and you started doing pastry and that was when Ben was head chef there. Oh, I actually jumped on the hot section um, for the Euro and then they're like, oh, we'll shift you into Urbane. I'd never done fine dining before. Like at the time, molecular cookery was in and it was just a whole new world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I said, look, if I'm going to be here, I saw the pastry section there and it was just like the Rolls Royce of everything. They had a Paco, all the marble benches, it was air con, yeah. like I'd never seen a setup like that. Wow. So I'm just like, if I'm going to learn how to do pastry, I feel like this Here's is the place. Spot. And so I hit up uh, the boss that it was just the changeover between Kim and um, Aleandro at the time. So when Aleandro took the reins, I'm just like, I want to be your head pastry chef and he looked at my resume. Obviously, he's got the most amazing resume. Mm, yeah. Um, and he's just laughed at me. He's like, no, you've got no experience. <laughs> Say it in his accent. Come on. No, I can't. I'm not worst at impersonations. Um, but I think he just showed that where I lacked in, um, I don't know, being in those positions before, like I was just by sheer determination I would have got there. And yep. so he gave me the opportunity. Um, and I worked my way up to being head pastry chef there, which was not just Urbane, it was the Euro, the Laneway, Sub-Urbane. Yep. It was a massive um, pastry section. Wow. So that's where I met you, around then. Is when you? It was around drinks with chefs. Yeah. 
All right, you hit me up for a donation, of course, yeah. and very happy to help. <laughs> still am. Uh, but you know what? I still remember the dish you cooked that night, and it was a cranberry hibiscus blueberry type number. Can it you remember? It was a mushroom dessert. It was a mushroom dessert. Um, goat's cheese, blueberry, and the cranberry hibiscus. And what did you do with the cranberry hibiscus? Because I remember it being super palatable, and you know, when you eat it, sometimes it, you know. You had a nice small leaf. Did you do anything with it? Or? I didn't do anything with that. No, Fuck. sorry. Yeah, it was okay. just a la natural. Because for me, it was probably not autumn, but it felt like autumn. It was just like beautiful, like it fallen from a tree and it was there to enjoy. Yeah, I think I got into like chervil sticks at the time. I made them into like, dipped them into what? a cocoa. Um, can't remember what else I put in there, but they looked like sticks, and the, but they were anisetti. That was when, like, all the sticks yeah, and yeah, the... Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know <laughs> what? I actually, people around. say to me, go, uh, what do you do with cranberry hibiscus? And I say, oh, blueberry is a good combo. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah that's Mushroom all. and blueberries move. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's still my story. I'm going with that. Yeah. Um, so, drinks with chefs, that's still going on or what? Yes, I'm just... The beautiful thing about drinks with chefs is that it's not, you know, three times a year or it's not. Um, so recently we had one in Sydney um, and that was about how I failed successfully. So at the moment you see in the industry... Was that where I failed to drop something off to you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how in theme. By my, my, my friend Luke. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Um, and you never rang me on the day after. So, okay, get back onto it. So... Tell me. Um, yeah, so essentially I just do them when there's something in the industry that annoys me and instead of having whinge about it, like trying to put things into place through drinks with chefs that will actually create change. Yeah. Um, so the last one, obviously, we've got through social media and things like MasterChef and whatnot, um, it looks very glorified, the industry, and we can blame TV shows for you know, putting out that message, but then we need to take ownership and responsibility for that as well because mm. no one turns around and says, oh, I failed or I stuffed up here. Like it's mm. very quite an ego-driven industry. And so I tried to get really successful chefs um, and other restaurateurs and drinks and everyone that kind of encapsulates hospitality and just to kind of share their stories that, yep, you know, I did get to the stage and this is my bump in the road, but this is how I turned around and like six failure doesn't need to kind of define you and this is how you get through mm -hmm. to end up being successful because we're drawing a lot of people to the industry at the moment, but they are getting to that first bump in the road and saying, well, it's so easy for everyone else, I'm out. Mm. And we're getting a huge amount of people just leave the industry. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it was in an effort to kind of share stories and retain people and give them those kind of tools to get through those harder times. Yeah, yeah. So you, so you're still doing that. So keep me in, keep me up to date with that because I think it's a good thing. So I, about then I said to myself, this girl's this girl, she's like entrepreneurial type skills. She's good at bringing people together. You knew a few cats. There's some good people at that first one I went to. I can't remember the name of the place. What was it? It was just near Ben. Where was that one? The first one was at Malt. Yeah. And so Malt, we had yeah. Ben Devlin, Ben Williamson. Um, Josh Lopez. Yeah. So pretty much if you want to be a famous chef, you, you name your kid. If you want your kid to be a famous chef, it's pretty much Josh, Matt ben. and Ben. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> a little tip there for anyone wanting the kid to be a parent. I mean a chef. Uh, not a parent. Um, okay. So then you uh, went down and hung out with Josh. 
Yeah, another Josh. Yeah, yeah, another Josh. In so uh, I met Saint him Peter's. through Appetites for Excellence, and he they we got in the top ten the first year that I did it, and they kind of take you out for dinner and stick you all at this table together, and so they ask you all these really weird questions like you know what's your food philosophy, and I'm just like I don't know, but it's good to start thinking like that, and they also. I didn't understand quite at the time, but they do ask you, what's your five-year plan? What's your 10-year plan? Mm. And normally you're just in the kitchen and you're thinking about just getting through the next day and you're not mm. thinking about five years. And it was so essential to really start me thinking along those lines as well. And I think it's helped me a great deal. But anyway, back to the story. Sitting next to Josh and we asked each other, not knowing each other very well, like, what's your food philosophy? He's like, And they end up being like really similar. So years down the track, um, when he opened up his own place, he's just like, would you like to come and be my sous chef? And I'm like, of course. It was just really perfect timing and it was nice to be able to do food that you believed in because yeah. it's the kind of food that you want to create as well. Did we say St Peter's? Did we say that? No, nah, no, at St Peter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, wow. What I, and it I, didn't seem like a strain or a struggle. Like it was just, yeah. this is... This is what I want to do every day with my life. Yeah. Obviously, it being fish focused. So then it was a, another trade that I, I could spend the next few years really refining. But when I came there as well, I said to Josh that I wanted to have my own place one day and I really wanted to learn from a small business side of things all the back of house and, you know, financially how you really make it work. Yeah. So he was really incredible with that. So a lot of people have no idea about that bit. You know, a lot of people cook and have, you know, we learn a little bit about food costs, but that's sort of it, isn't well, it? Well, that's what I want to change as well. So even the way that I set up the kitchen, but aside from cooking, like we try to put other things into place that we share the finances to a certain degree with the guys and we want to bring creativity into it. So just... Practicing it every day, whether I just give them when they, whether they just put a small contribution or we create a dish together. I do ninety percent now; they do ten percent. But like eventually, over the next two years, it could potentially be them doing ninety percent and me doing ten. Like, there's too big a gap between being a really good chef and then owning your business, and you see the ramifications of that as well. Like, you go to the the banking, like I'm a, I want to open up a restaurant, and like. It's not to blame the banks because the our kind of thought process is you don't make money in the first year, which is mm. crazy to think that yeah. it's you've got a business plan that's not going to make money in the mm. first year. Yeah. Um, but it's because it's not just about creating good food, it's about running a business and you need to have all those things into place. So when you're tired and <laughs> taking on the world, creating well, a... Is due today? Really? What's bass again? Is that the fish? Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, is, it is difficult to be a business person. And, um, and I even know that in my, my challenges as well with, with what we do. But um, wow. So Josh taught you a bit of that, hey? Yeah. Okay. He taught me a lot, that guy. Yeah? He's a good guy. I've never actually <laughs> met him, to be honest. Sort of sin. He's all over the place at the moment, isn't he? Maybe I should refer to some of my questions because we oh, haven't yeah, even sorry. got to any of that. But um, not that even. I think we've covered them all anyway. Okay, how important is like team team in the kitchen and tell me how you rally and attract good people to have in your kitchen? I spent a lot of time at the start, especially just not so much hiring people with the skill level that I needed. I knew I could train that, but to make sure that they had the right attitude. 
Um, essentially, we've got a no dickhead policy. Yeah, right. So, how do you interview like that? Like, does that, like, do you just pick it up? Obviously, there's lots of dickheads, but do you put that in an ad in the paper or something? No, not so to speak. Never in writing. Right. Um, <laughs> um, I think we just talk about. I've been at certain places that there's a lot of time involved with just playing mind games and like the industry is hard enough as it is yeah yeah and i'm by no means any no one holds each other's hands but it's really and i've heard a lot of feedback from people saying it's stressful for in there but it's stress that you can manage because you know you've got that support if needed with the people around you yeah and you're in it together so i love how so every sort of shift we were saying before i think we might have missed it but the, uh, you come in and you, you get everyone together and, yep. you, and you talk about the next few days. Yeah, so I was always doing a briefing with the front of house and then um, it's only recently that we've really, because um, it's such a large team as well, like we've got 13 chefs, to sit them all down in the morning and just go through things that we need to refine or things that we need to work on, whether it be you know, talking about the food costs and where we need to tighten up on it and that we're doing it together. And it is getting them like all these kind of habits that they form now, like they'll take on to the next place. So if they treat it like a big place that, you know, money grows on trees, then yeah, the next place they're going to send it bankrupt. <laughs> like, yeah. and it could be their place. But more to the story, we're, yeah, we do. We try and make them feel like they know what's going on in the next couple of days and so they can plan properly and not just be getting through the next hour or the next shift. Yeah, so you've got um, you, you have got a great team. Like every time I've ducked in there, um, you know, everyone's been. I think one guy he told me not to tell you, but he cooked this. What was that? It was like a cannelloni ricotta thing. Oh yeah, and it was bloody delicious. And Rotolo. he was sort of practicing something, and um, I was sort of complimenting him, and he's like, "Bang, I'm going to do you one." And um, you know, it was absolutely. Billy and I shared it. He said, "Whatever you do, don't tell Alana, and or don't put that on Instagram or anything like that." I'm like doing little videos and stuff, uh, but yeah. So, and and Tabs makes it. You know, they, they, it's a really good team in there. So I remember ages ago, you said to me, "How do you attract such good people like Billy and Brennan and all the team that we've got?" I'm like, "He pays really well." <laughs> I think we pay well. Yeah, yeah. But I think. That was something that really resonated with me, having that conversation, is the fact that you were so adaptable to people's life. Like, you know, Billy had something on. Yeah. Obviously, yeah, this yeah. was just a side gig at the start, and now yeah. we stayed with you for two years yeah, because yeah. it's such great conditions. Yeah. And it's the same, like, we really try to... I sit down with the guys quite often. I just say, you know, what do you want to learn in the next six months and try to... Um, work that into our business plan and what we want from ARC, but try to make sure that everyone feels like they're learning and they're on their own path as well. So essentially they're working for themselves, not just for a big place. Do you think, do you think that's widely done in, in our industry? Or is everyone just getting flogged? With I think everyone doesn't have the time to think about it. Yeah, yeah. Like, so not everyone's, um, you know, Noma, but you know, that, the new place they built there, that was all about, you know, you know, having a great sort of place to be is that that's important to you, obviously, because if you make it a nice workplace, and people are going to be have longevity and you know want to be here. Well, the thing is, Ben Williamson came in the other night actually, and he's just like, "Ah, oh, what are you going to do? You know, you've won all the awards, like you know, you've been yeah. pushing this hard to get to this stage for so long. Like, you'll just become really complacent. 
you know, what's next? And I was like, there the, the doesn't need to ben, be. Ben, that's my question. It's my last question. What are you doing? Sorry. <laughs> Bloody hell, Ben. But I said to him, like, at the end of the day, because we've looked after the groundwork, it's just, it doesn't matter about all that stuff. Like, at the end of the day, I really enjoy coming in there and learning with the team or seeing people grow within the team. Like, it's just, that's what keeps me coming back and that's what's, that's where my future is, not a bloody TV show or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, So do you, what do you do for exercise and do you sleep enough? Um, I love sleep and I do not sleep enough. Yeah. So how many hours <laughs> sleep do you get? Um, this morning I had a sleep in. Sorry about that. That's all right. Um, <laughs> you text me so you're be late. All good. No, I try, I don't want to talk about it. Really? You no. don't get, you don't get, you don't get eight ever? Yeah, on my days off. I normally yeah. just sleep. For a good day, and it's yeah. very indulgent, but I really enjoy spending my time sleeping. And I can. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. I don't have as much. But I, I listened to a podcast myself, and it was like the importance of eight hours sleep. And after yeah. I listened to that, because you're not doing your game, you're not. You're not. You know. You're you not. Can focus doing so much better when you get sleep. Like. And like when you said before about you know just working big hours, you know I remember when I was doing it. It's the same thing. They're absolutely hopeless. If you can just punch out eight hours at work and get eight hours sleep and actually have eight hours of a life and wow you're probably achieving a lot more in a 10-year span than what you would elsewhere so do you exercise do you run do you do anything um i get really bored exercising i am i'm currently doing a bit of boxing which i really enjoy yeah i take my sous chef tabs um so we can just let it all out do you punch each other yeah (laughs) (laughs) or my brother because also you need that family time yeah but you know, we're not getting along very well at the moment, so it's a good, you know, two eggs with <laughs> two, what, two birds with one stone. Oh, yeah. Uh, so this garden out here, do you ever just go sit out there? Like I know. It's my favourite. You know what? Well, I get messages saying, oh, you know, Alana's got pumpkin tendrils. Can I get some? And I go, she grew her own, man. Like, do you have to bug me with that stuff? <laughs> I mean, whoops, we love you. <laughs> um, you know, and, and you've got some cool stuff out there. It's coming alive really good at the it's moment. Amazing. And all the flowers are out and. It must be, you know, I feel like every chef just needs a little bit of a garden because to try and run that through a system like mine, it ends up being an expensive little punt of stuff. And, you know, it probably shouldn't be, you know, if you can just have. Like, how many square meters is that? It's not very big, but there's a ton of stuff in there. Yeah, it's out of control at the moment, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. nice. We're actually going to, hopefully, I want to separate Child Puppy and Ark. So I want to have two different entries. So I want it to actually be an entry spot coming through because it's no one even knows it, it's there mm. and it's my favorite bit of about the whole restaurant um so hopefully we can make like a little bar area there that's the entry point before you even get to the restaurant so everyone's too busy looking at this beautiful bridge and i forget that people can't see us right now but we're on the edge we're on the water here we can see the bridge and the city lights and then this beautiful garden right behind us it's it is a stunning place is there ever a day where you go i didn't even look out today no yeah. <laughs> normally, yeah. you normally you normally catch you like at the window concrete walls and you don't get to see sunlight and yeah, yeah, you yeah. do and you can tell like how it even affects a team of like just having a window and having something to look at and being able to if we have a special off the cuff going out and they race out to the garden they can get bits and pieces and it's yeah. just i know it's very simple but it's really fun yeah nice uh the awards we'll just touch on that I mean, you must have a newspaper collection at your house somewhere. Grandma's got a scrapbook. Uh, right, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's good having somebody else do that for you. Uh, so, you know, which one means the most to you? That's a, 
remember, just be careful in how you answer this. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. You were just about to give an answer there. You were, I saved you, I think. But yeah. Uh, like, so they're all very important to you. <laughs> yeah, okay, we'll leave with that question. Okay. Uh, the mad, the, the, the feed the mad thing that, that you did. It's you so know. good. I yeah. can't believe that I was even asked to do that. Oh, bullshit. Um, you should be asked to do that. What are you talking about? But it was really nice to have such diversity in that panel as well. Like it wasn't just chefs and everyone's got their own opinions about what hospitality. Like there was climate change people, there was the Arabinga guys. I don't know, it was just so nice to see so many different perspectives and how different places really provide the same, what they think leadership was. But it was. I think the videos will come out of that soon, which will be interesting. Howard Smith Wells has got a great environmental sort of policy here with picking up boxes and all the stuff that we do with you guys. You know, what, what's happening in the kitchens in general and what are you doing that's, you know, that's helping the world here environmentally? Well, I was talking to Matt Stone actually at the start and he's just like, the best thing you can do is invest in nine banes. Don't put a takeaway container in that kitchen. So that was a good one. Um, we've got our own compost system, but we don't normally brag about the things that we do because obviously it's a new precinct there's lots of curveballs and like until we refine everything we don't talk about it too much but across the precinct there is that um compost system which i'm trying to like get more bins into place as well so it's not just food scraps and rubbish Mm. like we can divide it a lot more into like plastics and whatnot and all the boxes obviously go down to you guys like um and so we can recycle all those wax boxes yeah yeah um but we should be doing a lot more, really. <laughs> and you know what? I don't think we should beat ourselves up about it because we are doing something. And I think there needs to be time every week where you actually stop and think about it. But, you know, um, we there's a video up on Instagram because it's past tense. It's not up at the moment, but it will be up by the time this comes out. Yep. But um, where we talk about what we're trying to do and, you know, what our impact is. And as a big-ish company, you know, like... There's a lot, you know, we're trying not to use cherry tomato punnets and all that sort of thing where, you know, but the industry is built around that. And um, then I go and investigate and ring them. And it's, and uh, I actually rang Matt Stone yesterday to get his tip on it before I actually did the video to say, hey, what are you doing? What's going on in kitchens? Knowing his background. Yeah. And, um, what was his red hot tips? I'll call you back later, mate. Still hasn't called me back for the record. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, yeah, well, I'm sure he's got some good ones and I'll use them for next video. But um, yeah, I think that as a as a you know as suppliers and you know when, when we start doing you know picking up the styrofoam, which we're really trying to avoid, we actually melt it back down and Eek. sends over to China to get made back into furniture. So it's getting reused. Strawberry punnets, just quickly, they are getting uh, a lot of them get re- from recycled plastic. So if you're putting your stuff in your yellow bins, and I know that there's a problem with that in Australia at the moment, but um, they are using recycled plastic to make the the, the strawberry punnets. So, you know, I was but like, even what's like going your on? bulk buys as well from you guys. Like when yeah. you had the ten kilos of blueberries or five kilos, yeah. it just comes in a box. There's no plastic. Yeah, or it comes box. in a crate that we can reuse. Yeah, you know, yeah, like um, more and more and more of that. Yeah, uh, is starting to. Starting and we to try to even like using people like Mulaney milk and cream. Like it comes down in big buckets, yeah. and then you make butter into it or whatnot, and then you send, when they come down the next week, you just swap the buckets over. So it's not a bunch of It's sort of old school. You used to get a bloody cream can, didn't you? Yeah. No, I feel like sometimes we've got to go backwards to go forwards because we got all this plastic and got all convenient. And, uh, yeah, it messed us around. What? Okay. 
Ben Williamson asked it before, but I'll ask it again. What is the future for Alana? I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, like I said, I'm What's just really... What's your five-year plan, ten-year plan, man? <laughs> What's your I food really... philosophy? Well, I just really want to make an institution here and, yep. like, see really great chefs come through this place as well. And, you know, inevitably they're probably going to leave. Um, but if they even they if they pop up around Brisbane, I think it's just going to help us grow as a as a city. How can people find you? What is your Instagram? Um, my name, Alana Sapwell. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what about drinks with chefs? Is that Instagram still ticking along? Yeah, it's still ticking along. So that's drinks with chefs. That's correct. Oh my god! Someone put an underscore in Suncoast underscore fresh. What were you thinking, Brendan Abel? <laughs> anyway, it has been awesome to chat with you, Billy. We've got anything. No? Okay. Really love working with you. You're a great person. I consider you my friend. Thank you for doing this today. It means a lot to me. Cheers. That wraps up Alana Sapwell from ARC. What an amazing person. So privileged to have her on the podcast. Coming up next is Abel from Shroom Brothers. Keep an eye out for that on the podcast. He is funny as hell, pays out on his brother heaps and knows all things shrooms. Coming up soon on the podcast. Thank mm-hmm. you.